Good morning, everyone. So as I begin, I just want to say it's probably not the best idea to, um, at the start of a sermon, especially a Christmas one, to alienate or, or offend half the people in the room when you're starting. But I'm an instigator, so I can't resist. Now, it's no secret that our family hates cats. Okay, well, look, we're allergic, so give us a break, okay? Even if you're not allergic and you're in my family, you hate cats. You become allergic, okay? We, we just don't like them. We're dog people, okay? So, again, half of you are now angry at me. That's okay. Just stay with me. There's a purpose for me alienating you, okay? Okay, so we don't like cats. We're dog people. And it was a very shocking thing to have happen to us for our family to come home one night... And there is a cat on our front porch. But not just any cat. Oh no. A menacing cat. A cat poised to strike. It was going to attack us. It was an attack cat. I'm serious. The eyes were like laser beams. You know how the eyes like start looking at you and stuff? I'm serious. And I'm walking up the walkway protecting my family... It was probably a rabid cat. The eyes were like glowing, and it was watching us like a hawk, and it wouldn't move. It was frozen. It was like, well, I'm going to pretend I'm a statue. And I knew better. And, and then I'm thinking, it's going to attack us. It wasn't afraid of us. I, I don't know what to tell you. It wasn't afraid of us. It wasn't afraid of cat. It was like, it was like this, this, this menacing thing on our front porch just ready to hurt us and make us allergic. <laughs> it didn't move for good reason. It wasn't real. It was a, some, a friend of ours thought it would be a really funny thing to do to play a joke on our family to get a, a photograph of a real cat life size and glue it to some cardboard that was cut out very meticulously and scare us with that cat they thought it would be a really funny joke I'm telling you it looked really really real especially in the dark especially in the dark but it was nonetheless a cardboard cutout. It was a facade. It was a fake. It was a misrepresentation of a cat. But it was designed to do something. It was designed to get our attention, and it surely did. But it was false. And the reason I tell you that story is because there is a similar thing going on with many of the trappings of Christmas, many of the cultural trappings of Christmas that we so easily give our attention to because they are designed to get our attention lots of things literally begging for us and for our attention at this time of year really all year round but especially this time of year i mean you've got christmas decorations now some people decorate their house for everything birthdays and thanksgiving and halloween and things like that i ran into someone recently 
And they were so excited that they were going to buy two light-up penguins. And they're like, we got to have these because no one on our block has these. We're going to have the best house because we got these two light-up penguins. Wow, weird. We put up decorations on autopilot almost. And we go shopping. By the way, we go shopping on autopilot. You know that every year it gets soon, uh, you know, sooner and sooner. It's like used to be the day after Thanksgiving, right? It was the day after Easter, I think, this year. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the Christmas sale started right after Easter this year. But then there's the parties you got to go to. You got to go to those. You're invited, you know, and some of them you want to go. Some of them you want to be invited to, but others you're like, oh man, I got to go to that. So you, you know, you put on a good face, you give them the $5, you know, a little white elephant gift, and you go, and you kind of endure some of these things. But often, they get our attention so much, we are really wrapped up in these things, and we come to church even as believers on two Sundays before Christmas, and we realize something. Oh no, all this stuff I've been wrapped up in isn't the true meaning of Christmas. And I knew it. I knew it was a cardboard cutout. I didn't. I, I thought the cat was real. I was the Frady cat, by the way. Okay, I know you're always thinking that. I know, I know. But what do we buy? Who do we buy for? Did I spend too much money? Did I spend not enough money? Get, get the house ready for the relatives. Oh no, and there's that one family member that is really difficult or that hurt me or hurt someone and I don't know if I want to see them and we go through so much pressure and stress and expectations real and imagined at a time like Christmas I listened to a a Christian radio program just this week that was talking about how you could conquer Christmas like really it needs to be conquered wow And I understand what they were talking about. What they were saying is, all the stress and the pressure and the expectations, you can survive it. So if that's your goal, you're you're setting your goals too low, okay? Not just surviving Christmas. Really, we shouldn't be trying to conquer Christmas. Christmas should be conquering us in the best possible way. The true meaning of Christmas should conquer our hearts in such a way that all the cultural trappings of Christmas even if you still do them, don't get in the way. I'm not telling you to not decorate your house. I did that. I'm not telling you not to buy gifts. I might do that. I'm, I'm telling you all, I'm just saying you need to think about the real stuff. We get diverted from the main point of Christmas. We cave into the pressure. And right out of the box, we are pre-wired to do that. Go to extremes. The software is preloaded, Plug and play. Especially at Christmas. At Christmas, we gorge ourselves on gifts and on food and on sentimental feelings. But what if we were not consumed by our fear of that estranged relative at Christmas? What if we weren't consumed by making a house look just right? What if we weren't consumed by, you know, impressing Clark Griswold or whoever the neighbor that we have thinking that we want to have a better looking place than them? What would conquer our hearts and minds? What would be the mindset we would bring in? So today, in the midst of all these things, I want to point you to a passage of Scripture that God designed 
God designed to focus our attention on what is true and real at Christmas. I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to read a passage designed by God to give a true picture of Jesus. Because our hearts and our lives don't always reflect clear convictions on who Jesus is or why he came to earth. The passage of Scripture I'm going to read it was, was, was designed to inform our, our minds and our hearts and to exalt our perception of who God is. It was designed to leave no doubt as to the true meaning of Christmas. So I want to ask you to stand with me as I read God's Word. We're going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And I often say that the only perfect part of a worship service is when the Word of God is read, but even then, I will maybe flub a word up. I will maybe uh, mispronounce something or say things wrong or even read the wrong word. But I want you to be very aware of something right now. In fact, I want you to receive what you hear right now as what it truly is, the Word of God, as Paul says, which does its work in you who believe. And, and if you think about it, what, what we're going to do today is I'm going to read these verses and then I'll make a few comments and explain a few things about them. But the primary thing is the reading of these verses. The primary thing. This is not something to get out of the way so I can start a sermon. And my main point comes right out of this passage. As you know, I try to do every week. The main point comes right out of what I'm going to read. And I'll, I'll read it, we'll explain it, we'll apply it. But the, the reading of it, the hearing of it is of utmost importance. So John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. This is God's Word. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I pray that while our hearts and lives don't always reflect clear convictions of who You are and, and why Jesus came to earth, I pray, Lord, that as we have read this true picture of Jesus that you would truly exalt our perception and leave no doubt as to the true significance of Christmas. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I'm talking about the incarnation today. That's a A common word, but some people are confused about it, but it's a common word in Bible-believing circles. The incarnation, what I'm calling the true meaning of Christmas. Now, the incarnation should be the, the joyful focus of a Christian celebration of Christmas. But here's what we know. First of all, we're a couple of weeks out, and Christmas is coming like a locomotive towards us. It's not stopping. The calendar is not going to be put on pause. It's a quickly approaching, and sadly, this time that should be a joyful focus is often a time, not just of expectations, not just of, of hopes and fears, not just of gift-giving and decorations and all sorts of things, but also for many people of depression. And not just among just men and women in general, but among many Christians. That Christmas is often a time where people are depressed. And and that is pretty sad. And I think a lot of our depression is due to the fact that we've spent too much money and we've spent too much time on the wrong things. And we make, we try to make the celebration of Christmas enjoyable. And in the process... We drive ourselves crazy, basically. We find that the returns are minimal at best. And so a great deal of our depression could be attributed to the fact that our concentration, our focus, has been turned away from what is real and true about Christmas and onto things that are lesser things. The fact is that the great joy of Christmas is inseparably bound with the fact of the incarnation, Christ's incarnation. Here's the main point of what I'm going to say, and I believe it's the main point of this passage of Scripture that I just read. That the incarnation is the true display of God for the true need of sinners so that we would truly worship Him. That the incarnation is the true display of God for our true need so that we would truly worship God now what specifically do we need to know or focus on about the incarnation I want to call your attention to three aspects of the incarnation today three things that were happening in the incarnation 
I want to call your attention first to the first five verses. And really, everything I say is going to be embedded in all these verses. But the first five verses, I believe, really play up the fact that there is a matchless mystery that we are encountering in the Incarnation. And the matchless mystery is that God became man. God became man. A very simple definition of the Incarnation is given by Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology. It is this, the act of God the Son, whereby He took to Himself a human nature. The act of God the Son, whereby He took to Himself a human nature. The Incarnation into one of the darkest times in the history of the people of God. It it was a huge time of judgment brought on by their own disobedience to God, their own sin. The Word of God is ringing out an incredible note of hope because we are being told that God is going to rescue His people and deliver His people and save His people, redeem His people. And their deliverance is not going to come from a likely source, but from an very unlikely one through a child born in their midst and this will not be just any ordinary child and every child is special every baby is important but this child his name will be Emmanuel which translated means God with us God with us The matchless mystery is that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. Look with me at Romans chapter 1. I'm going to take you through just quickly several verses that explain this in, in very simple language and very clearly. Romans chapter 1, Paul begins, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And then verse 3. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. That's God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ. He was declared to be the Son of God with power. Move over to Romans chapter 8, verse 3. We read in verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. And then verse 3, For God God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus was a real man. He is fully God and fully man. He didn't give up any of his godhood. He, didn't, he was perfect man. He was sinless man. Go over to Galatians 4.4. 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Go over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God became man. That's the matchless mystery of the incarnation. 
Two more verses. I want you to go to 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to show you 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, and 2 John verse 7. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2. You want to know how important the incarnation is? How important this matchless mystery of God becoming man is? 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. Now, now he's going to tell you, how do you know if someone is a false prophet? Verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. It's the incarnation. And then Second John, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So watch yourselves. This matchless mystery of God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ when God the Son took upon himself a human nature. What I think happens at Christmas all too often is we become almost hyper-familiar with the narratives found in Matthew and Luke. And we get caught up in the mangers and the no room at the inns and the shepherds in the fields and even the angels proclaiming and we get caught up and the form becomes the function and we think of christmas as a manger and we think of christmas as the the no room in the inn and we think of christmas as the shepherds getting news and what we don't grasp is what was going on behind the scenes that's what i love about john chapter one the only gospel writer that starts not with the historical Jesus who lived on earth, but went way back before creation, before the world was made, before the universe began. And that's where John starts. I'll remind you too that these first 18 verses are the introduction to John's gospel, the prologue to John's gospel. And in it, he is bringing up all the big themes that he is going to explain in this gospel. And by the way, we're not going to go through this gospel verse by verse in five years and two months. Okay? By the way, um, last week after third hour, many of you were over there in the, in the room over here um, for a little party. Uh, uh, congratulations for ending Matthew party. And um, we're not going through this gospel. But I realized something. You finish a Bible book, you get a party. So, like, for example, when I go through Zephaniah in one week, I get a party. When I go through Obadiah in one week, I get a party. I, I, I can't wait. I, I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. Okay. All right. The matchless mystery of the incarnation. Here's John introducing his gospel, and he starts by doing this. He pulls the curtain back, and he shows us what was going on behind the manger scene, behind all the things that we are all too familiar with. Pulls the curtain back to reveal the purposes of God in the incarnation. Matchless mystery is that God became man. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So what we see here first is that this was the Creator God. And not one single thing, it was in, it's emphatic in the Greek text, not one single thing that He did not create. Everything that lives derives its, its life from Him. He took on flesh. And we pride ourselves in grasping deep truths sometimes a little too much. This is a matchless mystery that God wants us to understand, but we will not conquer it. It should conquer us. We should realize that we have, we have dove into the deep end of the pool and the pool is infinity deep and we will not hit our head and crack our skull. It's like Lake Tahoe. You can see in and you can see really far, but there's no way you can see all the way to the bottom. That's what this mystery of the incarnation is. He took on flesh. If you were reading this for the first time or maybe the second time in, in the first century and you, were, and you were a Greek, it would have been vulgar for you to hear God being associated with humanity. Greeks and Stoics alike, they, were, they had this impersonal idea of the Word of God. The Word was this impersonal divine reason that didn't touch into human affairs. God says he, in verse 14, he, he became flesh. He became a man. He wasn't wearing a mask. He wasn't wearing a costume. It wasn't a cardboard cutout. It was, it was a real person. He had fingers. He had toes. He had knees. He had eyes. He could see. He could speak. He could hear. He was real. He had skin. Ow! You know, he was real. He was a real person. God became man. Jesus is God. Some of the great songs of Christmas have this truth embedded. I'll give you my top three. We'll go in order. Third place first, and then second place, and then first place, in my humble estimation. First is, is, are the words, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. And then further on, Jesus our Emmanuel. God with us. It's a mystery we cannot grasp with our hands. And then, O holy night, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt it's worth. And my all-time favorite. Some words that Charles Wesley wrote in a hymn. Let earth and heaven combine, angels and men agree, to praise in songs divine the incarnate deity. And then this line, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. It's a mystery that, that no other mystery surpasses. 
And it should, it should humble us. It should, it should stop us in our tracks. It should startle us. We should be startled by God becoming man, by hearing that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. We should be humbled by this truth. If I would give you an encouragement of what to do with this in the next 10 days, it would be think deeply about this. Read these words over and over again till they get deep in your soul and think deeply. Swim in those clear, cool waters of of God's matchless mystery and know that you can't get to the bottom of it. God became man. He's a matchless mystery. And there's a second thing I will call to your attention. We see it in in verse 6 through 13. the, The idea of a timeless truth that is embedded here. And it's that God became man to save man. God became man to save man. 1 Timothy 1.15 says it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that that Christ came into the world to save sinners. God became man to save man, to transform lives, to set people free by his truth. And many will try to discredit the truth. There are many enemies along the path of truth. Even in this passage, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. The darkness was trying to overcome it, but could not and will not. It cannot. In verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. I love John, the gospel writer, because he doesn't like to speak about himself. And when he does, he doesn't speak in the first person. Here he is referring to John the Baptist. He simply says John. But the big thing about it is you need to know that he was sent from God. God sent this man. He's not the God man. He's not God who became man. He's a man sent from God whose name was John who came to bear witness about the God man. He wasn't him. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, verse 9, which enlightens everyone. And that doesn't mean that everyone gets saved. It means that if you get saved, you'll get saved by Jesus because he's the only Savior. He was in the world. The world was made through him. He's the creator. Yet the world did not know him. They did not want him. Rejected him. Threw him back. Wanted to throw him back. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. What does that mean? It means they didn't believe in him. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. That's how you know that received means believed. Those who received him who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And remember how John is bringing up all the themes that he will bring out in the gospel. Here he says they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Some guy didn't wake up one day and say, "Hmm, I think I, I, I got a good idea of how to get rid of my sins. I got a plan I just hatched. No, this was... God making up the plan, God doing the begetting. He, we are born, those who become children of God, those who believe in His name, in the name of Jesus Christ, those who believe in Him are born of God. 
Very clearly spoken in John chapter 3. You must be born again, Jesus says. Born from above. Born spiritually. Born supernaturally. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. God made us alive together with Christ. God does it. Born of God. The timeless truth is that God became man to save man. The timeless truth is that Jesus saves. Do you remember that red neon sign in the top of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, Biola? Two big signs looking both ways. Jesus saves. The Nicene Creed in, of 325 A.D. states it this way. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. God became man to save man. At Thanksgiving, I had my my mom and dad, who've been married almost 60 years. Got my mother and father, my father in law and my mother in law nieces and nephews and sisters and gathered them all around before we were going to pray and I had smoked a turkey and I love food and I told them the truth I said you know what when I was a kid Thanksgiving was all about the food and it was a great Thanksgiving and I was a skinny kid but I, I, if, if I ate so much I had to unbutton the top button of my blue corduroy pants my light blue corduroy pants that I wore all the time then it was a good Thanksgiving I told them, I said, you know what? I love to eat, but it's not about the food. It's about who's here with me. It's about all of you. I got two kids home from college and both sets of parents here with us and this is what it's about, to be with you. Be present with one another. Think about God sending Jesus to become one of us to be with us it says that he came into the world whoever believed in his name he, he made them children of God you know you're probably buying presents and I might do that too I told my kids though you know, my kids asked me what do you want for Christmas dad same answer every year by the way there's nothing I want okay there's nothing I want I don't want any gifts but yeah that's not true I want three gifts I want t-shirts socks and underwear all the things that go into the black hole at my house someone told me this week that the dryer lint is is um socks that have been cremated and I believe it I tell them just get me what I can't ever find socks and underwear and t-shirts and I'll be happy but when I was a kid, it was all about what am I going to get? When you get older, it's like, what can I give people? But the gifts that I've been given in my life are the best gifts that I've ever been given in my life are the non-tangible gifts. When someone has come up to me and said, you know what? 
and they say something that encourages me. And, and, and they, they, they say something that makes me say, wow, yeah, I guess I don't mess up as often as I do, or, you know, I, I don't fail, I don't this or that. I, I'm like, I guess I'm an okay person. It's when someone says something to you that, that, makes, that lifts your spirit in such a way where you say, wow, they gave me a gift that I will remember my entire life. And it does keep on giving, and especially if they put it in writing, because you can read that note. I keep those kind of notes. What if you let God transform your, your heart and your mind in the next 10 days towards giving gifts that can't be held, but that pay the greatest dividends? What if to a father or a mother or a child or a brother or a sister or a friend or a neighbor, to a believer or an unbeliever, you say something to them about them that encourages their heart and gives them a glimmer of hope? I talked to one, I shared this idea with some people this week and this one person said to me, you know what, I am going to write something to my kids and grandkids and I'm going to stand up on Christmas and read it to them in front of everyone. They won't ever forget those gifts. I think if you could bless people with your words this Christmas, how that could give them a glimpse of the timeless truth that God became man to save man, that you could let God, that you could let Jesus beautify the awful contrast between the trappings of Christmas and the true meaning of Christmas. Timeless truth is that God became man to save fallen man. I'll bring up one last idea. Seen in verses 14 through 18. I'm calling it the wide-eyed wonder when God revealed His glory. Look at the word in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt literally means pitched his tent with us. He he went camping with us for a little while. He tabernacled amongst us. It takes us back to the Old Testament. It takes us back to the glory of God it takes us back to Exodus chapter 19 and, and, and it takes us to Exodus 24 where it says the glory of God was a devouring fire. It takes us to Exodus 25 verse 8 where, he, where God says, let them make me a tabernacle to dwell in. Except this time, God made the tabernacle and it wasn't made out of ram skins or porpoise skins it was made out of human skin the greatest glory of God is seen in Christ look at that word we have seen his glory verse 14 we have seen his glory they've seen God's glory because they saw Jesus those who believe now we who believe now we will see Jesus. We will see His glory. But they saw His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, and that, that glory, that Son, was full of grace and truth. By the way, another, another 
phrase that takes us back to the Old Testament. Because over and over again, God said to his people in the Psalms and other places, he said, I am going to send forth my loving kindness and my truth. It's code for grace and truth. God's going to do this. He says, I'm going to do this. He did it in the person of Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 10.5 says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. They saw his glory. John bore witness about him. John the Baptist cried out with a loud voice. I'll read it with a, with a quiet voice. This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me it's like jesus when he said before abraham was i am we're dealing with the great i am here verse 16 from his fullness we have all received all who believe have received of his fullness grace upon grace that word upon literally means in place of instead of substituted for grace in the place of grace I read in a book by Amy Carmichael a, a quote that she quoted from Bishop Mool, and it was this, that picture your life as a riverbed, a dry riverbed, and the water that flows through is the grace of God, the love of God. And, and every moment the water is rushing and flowing, and every moment it's water, but it's new, it's living. We, we receive grace upon grace from God in Christ now, every person gets the common grace. That's why we are having beating hearts and able to get up and get dressed and drive and go places. But Christians have a, the, the, the true grace of God in Christ being lavished upon them all the time. And it wasn't just John the Baptist that talked about this. Now, Moses gets name-checked. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In fact, no one has ever seen God, verse 18 says. The only God who was in the, at the Father's side, that's Jesus Christ, He has made Him known. Jesus shows us what God is like. We shouldn't be trying to conquer Christmas. We shouldn't be trying to just survive Christmas. We shouldn't be trying to do all that. We should let the true meaning of Christmas conquer us. When Christ rules in your heart by faith, He overrules your magnet-like inclination to gravitate towards things that are not God. The cultural trappings of Christmas included because the incarnation, this is that point again, the incarnation is the true display of God for our true need, for the true need of sinners so that we would truly worship Him. The incarnation blows me away. It is a, it is a mystery that cannot be fathomed. It is a truth that cannot be conquered. It is a wonder so deep we cannot contain it. We must praise God for it. I want to talk to two 
groups of people here today. You might be in these groups, you might not, but it applies to all of us. But first I want to talk to to the distracted. You may have come in here today and you realized, oops, I'm really, really distracted off the true meaning of Christmas. And your, your focus is on everything but the incarnation. And God wants to set your focus, fix your gaze on what is true. It's already settled and accomplished in Christ. He wants to focus your attention on what is true. But I also want to say something to another group that most likely is here. The downcast. Those who are filled with loss or discouragement or been battered or feel hopeless. First, let me just say that when God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, it was for the purpose to die for sinners. And Jesus felt pain. Jesus was abused and was battered and was beaten and was whipped and was rejected and was killed. So none of us can ever say, God, you just don't understand. Emmanuel, God with us, understands. For the downcast, Christmas trappings only make it worse. But God wants to remind you that in this fallen world of pain and misery, grace and truth have appeared, have come, and grace and truth is available for you in the person of Jesus Christ. Because He has conquered all enemies to your soul. There is no enemy that can come against you that He has not conquered. Every barrier He removes. And grace can now flood your life you focus on what is true you will not be fooled by cardboard cutouts Lord God I praise you for your matchless mystery where you became man in the person of Jesus Christ that timeless truth that you came to save sinners And what leaves us in wide-eyed, awestruck wonder at your glory that you have revealed your glory in Christ. Jesus, God's glory, your glory. We will praise you forever. In Christ's name, amen.